Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, hey, we're going to dive in because we have to. I, uh, I, I'm going to do something that I've never tried yet before. Uh, I am going to take... So we're finishing up Radical Religion, okay? That's a series that we've been on. If you haven't been here uh, for a while or you just, this is your first time ever, uh, we've been in the series called Radical Religion, which has been uh, looking at a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount for, I think, 12 or 13 weeks. And uh, the middle portion, we split it up into three different sermon series. And the middle one is Radical Religion. And we're wrapping up that sermon series tonight. But while we, while we do that, we are also looking at a completely new sermon series in its entirety. I'm going to preach one full series and a part of another series all in one sermon, because uh, I'm going to try to get done with the Sermon on the Mount tonight. And uh, so I was actually planning on doing what I'm going to do tonight in like three and a half sermons, maybe four, and we're going to do it in one. And so um, pray for me. And pray for yourselves. Uh, let your parents know you might not make curfew tonight. No, just kidding. Uh, that's terrible. But um, no, because I'm trying to get to the gym and uh, hit some of you guys with dodgeballs. So, Lord willing. Yeah. He goes, yay. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry if I have hurt you that bad in your life. <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. Um, so I, a disclaimer, I, wanna, I want you guys to know right up front, normally we, we take it at like five or six verses uh, at a time, small little uh, portions. We're going to do like one massive chunk of scripture. So it's going to be 23 verses we're looking at tonight uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. That is Matthew 7, 1 through 23, 23 verses. And um, so we're, we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. And because it's, it was originally planned to be multiple sermons, there's going to be, uh, really, it's going to be uh, multiple main points, if you will. So um, we're going to go through a portion of Scripture and then really kind of look at what, what is that telling us? How can, we, how can we walk out of here with that speaking into our lives? And then we're going to look at the next portion of Scripture. So rather than my normal method, right, just one main thought throughout the whole sermon, we're going to get some different um, nuggets of wisdom from Jesus tonight, multiple ones. Um, and so uh, hopefully you're okay with that. So I would just encourage you, though it's multiple points and uh, really unrelated points, my prayer for you guys is that you would take each point uh, in, the, in and of themselves and really try to put it within your heart and just try to weave it into your, into your uh, life and how you live even though they're, they're unrelated. So look at each section uh, one at a time and consider how can we learn from this. And so finishing up radical religion, we're going to look at Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and that, that will be the, the final part of radical religion. Uh, let, me, let me read this, the first six verses, and we're going we're gonna to look at it. Jesus says on his, in his sermon on the mount, he says in verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged. You guys have probably heard this passage a million times. Sermon on the Mount in general is just preached a lot or looked at a lot, read a lot. And so you've probably heard this. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. 
Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to the dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. This one's usually cut out of the the normal part that you're probably used to. Or they will trample you under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. So that is um, the first six verses of Matthew uh, chapter 7. And so if we were just to give a simple main point, what is this passage saying? The whole uh, looking at the, the splinter in your brother's eye and when you've got a beam in your own eye and don't judge or else you will be judged. Don't measure them or you'll be measured according to the same measure. I think the simple main point is simply that we are not to be judges of this world. We, 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 aren't, we aren't God. We, we shouldn't take the place of judging other people. I think that's really just a simple main point from this passage. But to better understand it, to better understand this passage, I think we have to really zoom out a lot. Maybe like an airplane, 30,000 feet view of the Sermon on the, Round, Sermon on the Mount at a larger context, and you'll understand this passage a little bit more. Because I think, actually, though in itself, just these six little verses isolated by themselves, it's really saying, don't judge. And it, it is. It's saying, don't judge people. Don't be God. But if you zoom out, you actually find that this, these six verses, this don't judge portion, is actually uh, the third of three sections that Jesus is saying, the three don'ts is what I call it. He, he says, don't do this, instead do this. Don't do this, instead do this. And now he comes to this third passage and says, don't do this, instead do this. And each one of these sections, all three of them, is uh, Jesus really telling us that we should look to him instead of the world. Instead of doing worldly things, we should look to him and trust in him and believe in him and lean on him. It's three don'ts. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an idea of it, okay? So the first section, he says, uh, he really talks about what we should value. He says, don't, there it is, the first don't, don't store up, this is Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead, in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's saying, don't value primarily things of this world, value me, look to me instead of things of this world, don't. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The second section, the second don't, is talking about what we dwell on, what we really spend our lives thinking about, really just um, entertaining in our minds. He says, don't, that is Matthew 6, 25, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. So he's saying, don't focus primarily on things of the world. Don't primarily be concerned about your fashion. Don't be primarily concerned about what you're going to eat or what you'll drink, though that's important. Don't, don't make your life about those things. Focus instead on me. Primarily, just seek me. Dwell on me. Think about me. So again, three don'ts. Each one is to lean on God more and to not focus on those things both possessions, what we dwell on. Now, section three, he talks about judging. He talks about judging. He says in verse one that we just read, do not judge so that, that's the third don't, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged, by who? By God. If 
by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. So again, if we're following the, the, the thought process of the other two, don't store up treasures on earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. Focus on me. Again, don't, uh, don't dwell on things of this world, what you will eat, what you'll drink, but dwell on me first, the kingdom of God. And now don't judge others. Instead, let him do the judging. Okay? Bird's eye view, context of Matthew 7, 1 through 6. He's saying, don't play God. Don't judge other people. But I think the problem is, is uh, a lot of people take this passage out of context. If you look at just the first verse, it says, don't judge. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Okay? And I think so many people run to this passage, people that don't understand Christianity, don't understand uh, what Jesus calls us to do, they, they misuse this passage, and they, they try to tell us that, well, you can't look at me at all and, and critique or consider the way that I'm living. You have no right to speak into my lifestyle at all. You have no right to speak into how I'm living. You have no right to look at my sin and say anything about it. Don't judge me. Only God can do that, right? I mean, you hear that. Like, only God can tell me what's right and wrong. Not you. You can't speak into that or else you're judging me. You're, you're, you're not tolerant of me, I think, is what people really use this passage to say. And is that, is that what Jesus is saying? You, I, I, there's a song, Taylor Swift just came out with it, You're Being Too Loud. Who's heard of it? Everyone heard of it? It's talking um, about uh, the gay community and how people are just telling them uh, that it's wrong. And, and she's just saying, you're being too loud. And it's, kinda, it's, it's a catchy song, to be honest. It's a really catchy song. Um, kind of find yourself jamming out to it. Um, but I think really the same mentality of this is you have no right to speak into whether or not I'm gay or not. I think they have, that, that's really the, just this, this message that this song is singing. And I think we have to consider, is that true? Do we have no right to speak into the lives of other people? If we, if we do, are we being a bigot or whatever word you want to say, intolerant, rude, judgmental, I think if we see this text that way, I think it makes you feel like you can't say anything about any sin, anyone else's life, or, or you are judging them. But I, I just don't, I don't see that that's what the text is saying. I don't think that's what the Bible says. In fact, actually, if you look in, uh, in Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, we're going to look at that in just a little bit because we're only in verse 6 right now. But um, we, we should see the sin in other people's lives. It says, be on your guard against false teachers, false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothes, but, inwards, uh, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Well, how do you know they're going to be false teachers? You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So he's saying, be on the watch out for false teachers, false prophets, people that will lead you astray. And you'll know that those are those people, by the way, they're living their fruits. So we should, we should be aware. We should be cognizant. We should notice the sin in other people's lives. We shouldn't be blind to them. But not only should we see the sin in other people's lives, but we should actually try to do something about it. If we jump back to the passage that we're currently looking at, it, uh, verse 5 says um, that we should try to get the splinter out of our friend's eye. It says, first, take the beam, out of, beam of wood out of your eye. Definitely. You know, work on yourself first. But he doesn't just say, just do that. Don't worry about their splinter. Only focus on your beam. That's it. That's your, that's your 
duty. That's your job. That's what you should be concerned about. That's it. No, he says, yeah, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So not only should we see the sin of other people, Christian and non-Christian, that's the false prophet, that's not a Christian. We should see the sin of all people. Be aware of it. Notice it. And if we love them, we will try to take the splinter out of their eye. When Jesus says, do not judge, I don't think that's simply saying, well, just don't look at anyone else's sin. Keep your eyes down. Focus on yourself. That's not it. That's not what Jesus says when he says, do not judge. So what is Jesus saying when he says, don't judge other people? Do not judge or else you will be judged. What is Jesus saying then? If it's not that we should keep our heads down and not pay attention. Well, I think what he did mean is that we shouldn't think that we're better than other people. I think that's judging. If you look at uh, Matthew 7, 4 and 5, it says, don't give, well, let's get yeah, to four. How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So how are you going to judge? Well, I think it's first of all saying that you have no problem, but they do. That's being judgmental. That's judging other people, putting yourself above them. You have something that you could learn from me, and I really don't have any issues. That, I think, is judging. Jesus says, don't judge. We all got stuff we have to work on. We all can help each other. So I think that's one way whenever Jesus says, do not judge, he's simply saying, don't think that you're better than other people. No matter what their sin is, if it wasn't for Jesus, and I think all of us need to soak this in, if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be in the same exact place. We are all sinners. We are all naturally prone to steer towards the most evil and horrible things, but only through Jesus and his sanctifying, his working in us, his making a new creation within our soul are we able to steer away from those horrible things. So it's only in Jesus' power that you're not. And so I think we all need to consider that we are no better than other people and it's only through Christ that we might be able to avoid or veer away from sin. We need to keep that in mind or else we're being judgmental. Jesus says, don't be judgmental, don't judge. And I think really he also means when he says, do not judge those people. He's simply saying not to think that your opinion of their salvation is the final say. We don't get to say who gets to the kingdom of God or not, who gets to go to heaven or not. We have no say in that, only he does, so we shouldn't play God, and I don't think we should ever give up on anyone. I don't think we should ever look at that person and say they're too far gone, that sin is too disgusting. No. I think Jesus would say that's judging and you're playing God. You're taking my spot. You're sitting in my seat. We shouldn't ever give up on people. As far as we're concerned, that person's going to heaven because we're going to work in all of our ability to make that happen. Otherwise, we're, we're judging. We're, we're passing our judgment saying your, your destiny, your location is final. It's already locked in. We shouldn't judge but that doesn't mean that we should be blind to sin or that we shouldn't be proactive against sin. We should definitely do that. That is not judging to see uh, somebody sin and say, I want to love you and I want to help you out of that. That's not being judgmental. It's following the gospel, following the commands of Jesus that we should see the splinter and we should try to help them take it out. That's not being judgmental. 
I think that's just a false understanding of Scripture. So what's the takeaway from this so we can keep going and we can get on to the next sermon series? Uh, well, I think, first of all, is that we should not ignore sin. We should not ignore sin. We should see it. We should be aware of it. We shouldn't put our head down or put our head in the sand. We should see the sin of our friends. But when we see the sin of our friends, we should never be judgmental about it. We should say, man, I see myself in that. I see I could also fall into that exact temptation. I could see that I could actually do probably one worse than you. I see myself in you. I'm no better, and I certainly don't have a final say for where you're going. I won't judge you. I see your sin. I want to help you out of it, but I'm not going to be judgmental about it. That's, I think, what uh, bird's eye view, at least, Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is saying. And then Jesus takes a, a, a hard turn, and so we are too, and we're starting a whole new series. And so in the next 15 minutes, 10 minutes maybe, we're going to do a new sermon series, Radical Results. And uh, I want to I say what Radical Results means because a lot of people might get this uh, misconstrued and, and confused. I'm not saying that it's a result in uh, if you do these things, man, he's going to give you a crown. That's not what I'm saying. The radical results comes from being in a relationship with Jesus that he freely gave us. That, that's essential. That's, that's really important to see that these results aren't from your righteousness, from your holiness, from your good deeds, from you just being a little bit better than your peers, the person sitting next to you to your left right now, you being a little better than them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But it's not the results of that. It's the results that Jesus would say, I love you and I give you this. Those results. The results of Jesus' love and grace and mercy. We're talking about those results. And so that's really important that you would, that you would catch that. Uh, let me read 7 through 23. Verses 7 through 23. And then we're going to unpack it uh, pretty quickly, okay? You guys cool with that? You ready to run with me, Marathon? All right, let's do it. Verses, verse 7. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. And I just want to stop here. What does that mean? I think a lot of people, again, misunderstand this passage. Man, I, I swear, it's the passages that are read the most and memorized the most where people just run off in left field. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11 is, I can't get off. I got too much to talk about. But, like, these passages are just so misunderstood. What this is saying, verses 7 and 8, are not saying, Jesus, would you just give me the best car at my school? I'm knocking on that door. Would you open that door? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek this person liking me. Can I find that? Like, that's not just, like, whatever you ask and pray, Jesus is going to open that door. He's going to answer. He's going to make sure you find that. That's not, like, whatever I ask for, sweet. Okay, well, I'm going to knock on that door then. Like, that's, that is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when we would find him. We would seek him. We would knock on the door of him and his presence. Those who have a heart that is Position towards him, and again, that's the work of him. He is the one that would position our hearts. He is the one that would work in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit bringing back to life our dead self, that we would look to him and pursue him, and in doing that, he would say, come on in. The door's open. And so he would enable us to be able to knock, but when we knock, the door's open, and we have a relationship with him. It's not just whatever you want, that cool car or that uh, really attractive person that you're wanting to date. And if you just knock on that door, make sure that you find it because Jesus promised in, in Matthew 7. That's not it. It's relationship with God. And so let me keep reading. 
I'll get on tangents, I'll stop, I promise. I will read 9 through 23 without stopping. Okay, watch me. Verse 9, who among you, if his son asks him for bread, again, this is, I'm sorry, Uh, if his son asks him for bread, gosh, uh, will he give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also to the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Whew! I did it. I I know. I'm telling you what, there was a thank you, thank you. There were so many places where I was about to stop and say, remember how we just talked about it? And then I was like, no, can't do it, going to keep going. Okay. Of all that, there was so much, I know. There was so much. First, it was to kind of summarize in like 15 seconds what we just read. He, he, he first was talking about the whole like asking, knocking, you'll find. You'll, he loves to give good gifts, right? Those of you who, who don't give a stone to your child but instead give uh, good gifts, how much more does the Father in heaven want to give good gifts, right? And that is the pres- his presence, his relationship. He loves to give good things to us in this life. But then he, he goes in the next passage and he starts talking about Um, this narrow pathway to life and this broad pathway to destruction and the majority of the people go in the broad pathway to destruction and you'll find out who those people are by the way they live they're a good fruit or bad fruit they're a good tree they're a bad bad tree Um, and so you find out which road they're going on based on their fruit how they live and eventually those people are going to say Lord, Lord what are you talking about I've been walking straight and narrow He says, I never knew you. You've been on the broad walkway this whole time. So, of all that, what do we get out of that? Well, I want to give a general main point, and that is simply that followers of Christ have God both now and for eternity. There we go. Followers of Christ have God with them both now and for eternity. That's the main point. I think if you're looking at verses 7 through 13 or 12, 7 through 12, if you have your Bible, 7 through 12 is talking that whole knock, seek, you'll find. He loves to give good gifts. Uh, I think that passage is saying that you have God 
right now if you want him. If you seek him, you will find him. In this life, if you pray to him, he is there and he wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you himself. Followers of Christ have God now. As we knock, he will open. But then also we will have him for eternity. That if you walk down that straight and narrow, if you live for him and you love him, you have him for eternity. That's, I think, the general main point of all those passages, if I can uh, try to tie them all together. Uh, but, but firstly, uh, I want to I look at followers of Christ have God with them right now. That, that first portion. And uh, it seems like a really basic promise that whenever he says, as you knock, you'll find him. You seek, he'll be there. To say that we have God, you know, his presence right now as he's dwelling in this room, uh, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. But I think a lot of people need to hear that. A lot of people in this room need to hear, people that have even been Christians their whole lives need to hear God's presence in your life is real. It's not just this made up concept that other people might feel, but you're like, "Eh, I don't really know. God's presence is real. It's real, and I think people just need to hear that. It's not some distant, crazy thing, conceptual thing that you really have to like only be at church camp to kind of somewhat, I think, feel it. Like, that's not it. God's presence in your life, Christian, is real. He's there. I've, uh, I've had some celebrity crushes over my time, and uh, I'm really weird, guys. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very strange. I'm not the one that like, likes the movie stars or the pro athletes. I don't even know them. Uh, ask my wife. I genuinely struggle to know one person's name that's playing in a professional sport right now. So I'm just not great at it. Uh, my celebrity crushes are preachers. I'm very strange. But I love certain preachers. I love certain speakers, theologians. I'm like, oh. You know, like, I, I honestly get super nervous and like sweaty hands when I'm around one. And so um, I think general counsel, I was texting Sarah a few years ago. I saw Heath Adams. And if you guys know Heath Adamson, he used to be the national youth director of the AG a few years ago. And, um, and I saw him walking in the convention center at General Council Fine Arts, uh, I think it was in Anaheim. And um, I texted Sarah, and I was like, you would not believe who's right here. She's like, go talk to him. And uh, who was I standing next to? I was talking to somebody there. Um, was it you? Was it you guys? I was like, I can't do it. And they're like, go do it. I was like, don't stop. And they're like, I'm going to go tell him. He's like, no. And you know, like I run away. Like, don't go tell, don't go tell Heath I'm here. Like I'm hiding behind the pillar. And I, they're like, yeah, it's the guy behind the pillar. I'm like, no, stop. Um, I'm just, I, and then I went to a, I went to a, uh, a conference with Sarah back in April, uh, the Gospel Coalition conference. And um, John Piper was there. Again, if you guys know me, I love John Piper. And I love listening to him and reading him. And uh we saw him walking through the, this is so bad, he was walking through the convention center and it's attached to a hotel that he was staying at. I only know that because I followed him for like 15 minutes. And, uh, and, um, and every, like, I saw so many people stop him and say, hey, can I take a picture? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, ah. And I'm like, man, that could be me. And I'm like standing like five feet away. And like every time he turns around, I'm like, you know, like, look at my phone, like, hello, you know, like, and he's, no one's there. I just get so nervous. Um, that's really bad. I almost lost my main point there, telling that story, but it's true, and I did actually go, and I talked to his, like, bodyguard person, and I was like, hey, can I take a picture with John, and they're like, no, we've had too many, and I'm like, oh, man, um, 
It was really sad, so I didn't get a picture. But I think, all that story to tell you, I think that a lot of the times our relationship with God can be like that. We, we might say that we like him. We think that he's pretty cool. We're a fan of God. Uh, but I just don't know what it's like to get close to him. And uh, I'm not sure that I actually can get close to him. He's almost like untouchable kind of like John Piper is to me or uh, Heath Adamson. I think a lot of us can say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I really think, uh, you know, God's my savior. And, uh, and I'm like, so what, what do you think about your relationship with him? And if you really start to be honest with yourself and you start to consider it, you've been a Christian your whole life, but you really feel like God's pretty untouchable and, and not personable, and you really don't know what his presence is like. But you read these passages, knock, and the door will be open. Seek, and you will find. He says, I'm here. My presence is real, and you can experience me, and you can walk through life with me right now in this life. I'm here. And I think a lot of us just don't even think that that's a reality more. But not only in this life, but followers of Christ also have um, the promise to have life with him for eternity, forever. But really just this, this passage uh, really only talks about that promise for the, the Christian uh, only in verses 13 and 14. If you, if you go back to it, um, it, it says, it talks about those that actually do go to heaven. And can we get to 13 and 14? Um, I'm trying to go really quick. Okay, there we go. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate uh, is, that is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. There are many that go through that, but how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. That's all you get to really hear about the promise for the Christian that has eternity with God. That's all that you really get to hear. It's a narrow gate, and few go through it, but you can have it if you want it. That's, that's really here, uh, what, what you hear. The rest of it, to verse 23, is... It's talking about the people that will go to destruction. They're bad trees with bad fruit, and they're walking a broad road, and eventually God will say, I don't know you, even though they're like, I prophesied in your name. I healed people in your name. I cast out demons in your name. He'll say, I never knew you. The rest of it is warning us not to be like those people, that we should walk the narrow path, like verse 14 talks about. And so the walk away that we have, I think, for this passage. So we look at this, this promise for eternity as you walk in the narrow path to relationship with God, not only now, but for eternity so we can have relationship with him now and forever. I just want you guys to soak that up and really think about that, that you can really have relationship with God now. I think that seems so fundamental, so uh, elementary for Christians that have you know, lived 15 years loving Jesus. Like, but think about it. You can, you can have relationship with God now and forever, I think we should be reminded of that simple truth, that simple gospel. And this is not just good news for the person where their life is a mess. Those people that you have in their mind, like, man, they need to hear that you can have a relationship with God. Why don't you want to run after that? That's not a truth, a message that only the person that has a messy life needs to hear. That promise, something that we need to hear, people like you and me, that probably think they're Lives are more put together than we actually want to admit to our friends. People like you and I, who are insecure at times, need to hear that we can have God with us right now. People who want more out of life need to hear that you can have eternity with God, and you can have God right now. People need to hear that. You and I, though we might feel like there's got to be more, there is. And you need to hear that relationship with God can happen right now. And for eternity. There is more. 
And for you and I that a lot of the times might feel alone, we need to hear that God's presence is real right now. God is real. God is real and you can actually be in relationship with him and walk through life with him. And if you feel alone and you feel insecure and you feel like there's got to be more and you, gotta, you feel like there's just got to be more to life that there is and you need to hear that if you're a follower of Christ, you can have him both now and for eternity. And so that is a lot packed into one sermon. And I pray that you really would wrestle with that and chew on that and really dig deep in that and then implant it into your soul and your heart that you would live for him more, you would love him more, lean on him more, seek him more. That's my heart's desire. I really do pray that you guys would do that. But we're going to go in now into a time of just reflection and prayer. Um, so if you guys want to spread out, you can, you can get up. If you haven't been here before, this is a time where we just, we just spend personal prayer time. We just get alone. There's going to be music playing. And you can, just, you can just find a spot. Honestly, the lights just came off here on the stage. There's no focal point in the room. You can, fi- you can stay in your seat if you want. Or you can find a place in the back corner. I'd encourage you just to find a place. Sit down. We're going to have a, a little bit of uh, music playing. And uh, I'd encourage you to spend this time with God. It's not long. Maybe six, seven minutes. But in those six or seven minutes, I'd encourage you to really seek God. Seek his presence, not to be distracted or think about what's going to happen tomorrow or what your friend is doing, but really seek God for six minutes. Say, even if you haven't done it in a long time, God, I haven't, I haven't sought you out today at all. I haven't really prayed to you at all. Maybe this week you really haven't spent time with God. I'd encourage you six minutes, whatever this is, six minutes that you would just give that to God. Undivided attention, God, I will give you six minutes of my day. I want to seek you. Would, would you open that door and let me know your presence? If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened. God is here. And those who have a desire and a crave for him, he's there. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at ecchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.